trying to help the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Kate Watson and I'm continuing our conversation about anxiety with a a friend and colleague. Um, And Andrea, I'll I'll turn it over to you to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is, my name is Andrea. I live in Philadelphia. I um, have a little dachshund who's 14 years old and to rescue cats. I am from Europe and uh, I enjoy uh, hiking, painting, which is actually surprising to myself because I just picked this up in the pandemic. 80s music, very important, and lots of other things. So I'm grateful to be here. And thanks for choosing your t-shirt wisely. I know our listeners cannot see but I, I get to watch you speak today while you're wearing a shirt that says embrace the existential dread. <laughs> it's perfect. It's the perfect shirt for the topic today. And so well done on that. We're off on the right foot for sure. <laughs> Thank my cup of coffee in the morning for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're willing to speak to us today. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of continuing a conversation about anxiety and Andrea, you know, the audience here is, is typically people, like everyday people who don't necessarily have education in a formal way around uh, mental health or behavioral health. And they're often people who just have really big hearts and care to do right by the world and do right by their friends and family members and sometimes worry that they're not doing the right thing or saying the right thing and maybe causing harm. And it got me thinking about the ways that many of us in our worlds, we interact with folks who have anxiety. Maybe we don't even know that they have anxiety, but we might we might be misunderstanding sometimes. Like, I wonder what your experience has been like that when, when maybe you feel a person doesn't fully understand what you're going through as someone who lives with anxiety. What can you tell us about that? I think the first thing to kind of think about Um, If you're a friend, a family member, if you work with folks with mental health conditions, that clinical anxiety is not what we think about with regard to anxiety, right? Because most of us kind of have anxiety at times. It's a a fleeting thing usually. It lasts a little bit. Um, But clinical anxiety is really different. So clinical anxiety can also come in many different ways and forms. So it's because some people just have like anxious thoughts, right? Experiences that I've personally had have a lot to do with probably my specific anxiety symptoms and I can, you know, I'm happy to share them later, but there have been definitely times where people will say things to you um, such as, I don't understand why you have anxiety. You are very accomplished. You have two advanced degrees. You have a great job you have a wonderful tiny little house, you have all the things, what is there to be anxious about? That is probably the one that I get the most um, because I am a very high functioning person with anxiety on the outside. Um, The other thing that you might get is um, 
Why don't you work harder on this? What's so difficult to get through? I don't understand. So some other things that I've experienced, which I think are unique to people in actual work environments, is that when you have mental health issues, depression, anxiety, um, people might question your competence, which is a very difficult thing to experience because at times you will have problems working and functioning because it also affects your concentration. Um, you have insecurities, you have inner restlessness, you fear that you might not be at your best because you're not. Um, and unfortunately, if people are unsupportive, um, they might question that that means you can't do your job, which you know also happens when you are in cancer treatment and you're not doing well, or you're having an active situation with your diabetes, but that still gets sort of seen slightly different, I think. And those are the situations that have occurred to me. I, I wanna ask, or maybe it's not even a question, I, I wanna highlight that you said your, your anxiety comes in these episodic waves. I'm, and, and again, the listeners can't see me, but I'm making like a wave motion with my hands. And a couple things are interesting and important about that. One is that not everybody's anxiety looks the same. So, you know, you might know five people who have anxiety and it might look really different in all five of them. And I, I want our listeners to know that that's not an invitation for you to challenge people and say, well, you can't have anxiety because you're not like Joe. Joe has anxiety and it, he's really different. No, it can look really different. But the other thing about the episodic waves that I think is kind of interesting is everybody goes through episodic waves of tough times in life. Yours may be anxious times, but other people go through waves of grief or depression or an old football injury acts up or whatever it is. But we have times where we say this thing that I'm kind of prone to is acting up right now. And yeah, for any of us that could affect your work temporarily, but that doesn't mean you're bad at your job. It means for the moment you're having a little setback. And to think of it that way is quite important. Is, am I getting that right? Yeah, I think that is amazing. I mean, I wish um, we wouldn't separate out uh, sort of health conditions um, with clinical mental health conditions. Because as I said before, people have all kinds of health conditions. People have all kinds of other conditions that affect their work situations temporarily. And nobody is ever at 100% of their functioning. So yes, it would be wonderful if we had more welcoming environments for people with mental health conditions. Um, and I think most people still have to call out and say, I have the flu, right? It wouldn't it be great if I call out and be like, hey, I feel really anxious today. Um, and um, so there are situations where you are impaired. That, is, that doesn't mean you were incompetent. It just means you're temporarily affected. And, but there still is a lot of uh, misunderstanding around and maybe it would be helpful if I described to you what my anxiety is and then maybe I can talk about what I find helpful that people can do for me when I'm going through this. I love it. Thanks. I'm going to mute myself so I don't interrupt you. Kate, you can interrupt me anytime. Um, all right. So my anxiety issues started in my 30s and they were precipitated by a clear trigger, which was a breakup of a very significant relationship. So, you know, first of all, I couldn't understand that. 
that 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 would then happen when I wanted out of the relationship. It was a very uh, cordial breakup, so it wasn't horrible. It wasn't the relationship was good. We just we just had we're going different ways. I also have a strong family history of this, um, and so there is a genetic basis for some mental health issues. And again, I I, I have somebody and I have a couple of family members who have anxiety, so. I think, you know, you sort of also get these things modeled and you absorb some of them, you learn some of them. Long story short, after the breakup, one day suddenly it seemed like something had literally switched in my head. It was literally like a a switch had been flipped. And I suddenly became incredibly internally restless and afraid and panicked. So mine was like that. I couldn't sleep anymore. I knew that I wasn't a health, I wasn't having a health crisis or anything. Lots of people with anxiety actually think they're having heart attacks and present to hospitals. So I knew that wasn't the case. Um, a lot of people have heart racing. I didn't have that, but I had lots of physiological symptoms that started. There's lots of changes in your temperature regulation. So I'd suddenly feel really hot and really cold, or my extremities would be really hot and the rest of my body would be really cold. I would be kind of feeling uh, faint and and was afraid I was going to pass out. The thing that is my worst enemy, but is that I become incredibly nauseous. It went to the point that I lost during one of these episodes almost 20 pounds and felt really terrible. I'm like, the irony of that, really. Yeah. (laughs) Super nauseous, um, couldn't eat, smells were aversive to me. It was really terrible. Um, You lose all interest in your hobbies and, 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 and. So that's me, right? And some other people, I have a very good friend whose anxiety is different. She doesn't have all the physiological symptoms. She has more um, this sort of, cognitive the thinking anxiety and her her way of dealing with this she she becomes almost uber productive and can't stop doing things because she's afraid that she's not doing them well when i have horrendous anxiety i can't even put like 10 sentences together never mind thinking i'm gonna write anything you know i just want this to go away and the worst thing that can develop and that is not unusual either is that people develop develop anxiety about having anxiety. Yeah, I was thinking that. Like, oh no, I feel it coming again. Or I, I, I'm I, worried if I have a bad day today, it will trigger my anxiety. And so now I have anxiety about anxiety. Yeah, I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. That is um, something that I definitely developed and I recognized. Um, I'm obviously seeing a therapist. Um, I also eventually went on medication for anxiety which I was very hesitant about um, because, you know, before I went into my training and everything, I think I had some of the same fears about psychiatric medications and some other people do. I think I was mostly afraid it would quote unquote change me in some way. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't quote unquote myself anymore, Um, which is especially funny given like, like when I'm anxious, I am not myself. I don't feel like myself. So I'm not exactly a, sure what the hell I was afraid of there but I finally you know um I was also at times suicidal 
Um, actually, not infrequently doing my bad episodes. And I wasn't suicidal. And that's another thing I think that is really, really important for people to understand for those that have loved ones with these situations. Um, ask your loved ones, friends about this in a, in a sort of a, in a gentle way. Lots of people don't have that. I did. And again, mine was more kind of like, hey, I'm not going to go and do anything. Um, but it, for me, and I think for many other people, that's sort of like the situation of last resort. You're kind of thinking, I can't live like this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my anxiety came in episodes, as I said, and they lasted, one of them lasted for a pretty long period of time. And I started thinking, oh my God, is this ever going to go away again? And if it isn't, I don't feel like I have quality of life and I can't really function very well. And I'm just suffering. I was suffering. Um, I was really suffering. The thing that was most helpful for me was when friends dropped everything and just doing one period, this is 20 years ago, but when this first happened, two of my best girlfriends came from quite a long distance and just lived with me for two weeks and just did things. One of them wrote me on a piece of paper, here's what you do when you think you can't go on. And it was just like things like call so-and-so and have a chat, do this and that, do that and that. This was before I you know, ever became a mental health professional. She is no mental health professional. And we put that on the wall and it just made me cry because it was just so nice and caring. They were so non-judgmental. And in retrospect, here's one of my funnier experiences. Now also like hysterically funny things because I remember once going to Lorton Taylor's when that still existed with these two girlfriends. One of them is a physician and uh, a very direct person. I'm a very direct person, but she's even more direct than me. I, I get a panic attack, which I also then started having here and there. And I never had that before. And she's like, and I'm like, oh my God, I have a panic attack. And she <laughs> literally said the following, right. Lie on the floor, legs up in the air. And here we're doing breathing together. I'm like, we're at Lord and Taylor's. And she's like, I don't give a fuck. Lie on the floor, feet in the air against the wall. Let's do it. And so I laid on the floor in Lord and Taylor's with my feet up in the air and did whatever. It was great. So I love it. I, you know, I'm smiling over here because these are the stories, right? Of, of friends helping friends. And you gave such a great example of how a person doesn't really need any kind of fancy training. Like if we could just you know, stop stressing so much about, did I say the right thing? Did I ask the right question? And just love the hell out of people and just show up for them and be like, look, I don't know what to say. I just need you to know how much I love you. And so I'm, I'm moving in with you. (laughs) I'm going to put shit on your walls and just do whatever I can do to make sure you know that you're important to me. I mean, that could be the theme of every episode of this podcast is like, maybe stop obsessing over, did I say the right thing, do the right thing, and just do whatever you can do to love people the best way you can. 
What isn't so helpful is trying to talk people out of their anxiety, shame them for, you shouldn't have anxiety. Your life is good. You shouldn't be worried about things. Everything's fine for you. That is just making people feel like shit for having anxiety in the first place. What, what is so hard about just showing up and being a loving friend? I think a couple of things, right? I think if people have not had the experience of anxiety, it's just hard to understand, right? When people go into giving you advice of what to do, and the advice is not wrong, actually, right? So I've definitely had situations where people who actually also are in the in 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 a you know related profession might say to me, hey try a walk, take a bath, why don't you do this? Perfect, right? Actually, not that dissimilar from the list that my friend made up to me. But then they get frustrated when you can't do it. And then I've had a situation where somebody said to me, or sort of insinuated, I wasn't trying hard enough. And they were trying to help me. And I had to explain that you don't have to actually, yes, this is wonderful to remind me of these things. That's kind, right? But don't expect me to do that and then get mad if I can't, because I'm not sitting here thinking I'm not doing it and having some oppositionally defined episode or something. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, I would love to do that shit. Yeah. But the terrible thing is, when people think they become your therapist and then they get mad at, at you not doing it and then, then they get frustrated. And I think it's also understandable because, hey, listen, for those of you that have people, you know, with depression, anxiety, it's really hard. You know, if they're going through an episode, they're not maybe the person that you really love and enjoy, you know? I'm so glad you brought up the folks who might get frustrated or angry because here they've served you solutions on a silver platter and you're just not reaching out and taking them. I think um, it's important for folks to realize that if it were so easy for you to just take a bubble bath and take a walk and things would be better, then certainly you would have exercised those options long before becoming suicidal. Right. Like if you if you get to a point in your life where things become so hopeless that you would consider ending your life, then surely, <clears throat> surely you've considered all the other possibilities that you could try. And those didn't seem like they were they were feasible or viable options for you. And I just want the, the good natured, well-meaning helpers out there who are listening to know that your advice might be good advice. And it might still be really hard for people to take that advice. And all of those things can be true at the same time. Uh, and I think if, if, folks, if folks can hear that, I think it illustrates really well the suffering that, that people experience. Um, and that just makes me think of all that stigma around medications because I've had people call me before and say, Kate, I, I don't know what to do. The, the doctor says my son needs anxiety medication. Yikes, what's going on? And I usually say to people, I know things are confusing. I know this might be concerning. And your son shouldn't have to suffer. 
um, just because you were confused and worried. <laughs> um, your, your sister, your friend, your mother, who's considering taking medication should not have to suffer. If there is a way to ease the suffering, why wouldn't we try out that way? Do I think medication is everything? No. But do I think we should be scared of it? No, I, I think, I think it's, it's one way, one way that people sometimes get a little relief from the pain and the suffering. And why, why would we prefer our friends and family members suffer over that? And, you know, I was also thinking, Andrea, that like you were talking about how for you, it felt like one day a switch flipped. And I, I wrote that down on my notes to make sure we come back to that because there may be a lot of people listening, thinking they're listening for the benefit of some other person. Oh, I know other people who have anxiety, other people, not me. It's not me who has it. It's some person in my life. And I think it's important for folks to pause. As you said, you were in your thirties and a switch flipped, which tells me that it could be any one of us um, that, that, Folks, if you're listening right now, thinking, well, this isn't me. Well, it isn't you today. Um, but it's worth understanding this and building some compassion for it because there's no telling if it will be you in the future. And I don't mean that to be threatening or scary, but just to say, like, let's not separate ourselves so much from the other person out there who has these mysterious problems that you think you don't have. You may not have them right this moment, but it really could be any one of us who says, wow, I had a triggering event and a switch got flipped. And now I'm going through some of the things that I had only read about or heard about in the past. I think that is like a really, really good point. And I think we saw it during COVID. Um, during COVID, especially in the first year, um, and also still now, the requests for mental health outpatient therapy went through the roof. That I think also our anxiety gets triggered by very specific fears we have. Um, and that is also totally different for people. So my anxiety gets triggered by actually relationship issues, intimate relationship issues, and also work competence things where we talk about the imposter syndrome. I can go in front of 50,000 people probably. I could and speak. I wouldn't do shit to me. I can do all kinds of other things, but don't give me anxiety in the slightest way, right? For somebody else, that might be their ultimate nightmare. So in current therapies that are, that are evidence-based, we don't often look at the root of the problem anymore. I think it will help you to know what you think your anxiety is about. Fears that you're not good enough, self-esteem yeah. issues. There's, there's often a theme, like if you could list out the times where your anxiety got triggered, you could probably draw connections that like, oh, these are all about abandonment, or these are all about failure, or these are all about humiliation. Um, and you could probably find a, a connecting theme that is sort of the, the underlying root of one's anxiety. Yes. And I think that might also be confounding to people that love people with anxiety, right? Because like their loved one might become a bundle of heaping mess in a certain situation. <laughs> and in other situations, they're like, la, 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 right? And 
if you are somebody that struggles with anxiety, figure out what your themes are um, and then try and address some of those. And I, I think one of the things that's helpful about finding the theme, like if your theme is fear of failure or your theme is fear of embarrassment or whatever the case may be, it can also help you start to predict when anxiety might get triggered for you. Like I, I know someone who who has a, a, a real deep fear of abandonment and loneliness. And he's begun to predict like, oh, something's happening Friday that might poke at my fear of abandonment. So like, I should just be on the lookout for like, my anxiety might not be the, the greatest that day. It's, it's I, I'm, I'm preparing myself with all my coping skills and all my reminders of what will be helpful because I, I'm anticipating something happening that's probably gonna like jab at one of those little themes for me. And, you know, that can sometimes be helpful. I'm emphasizing sometimes because you also made a really good point, Andrea, about how sometimes we get anxiety about anxiety. And so the risk is Friday hasn't even come yet. And you're thinking, I know I'm gonna have anxiety Friday because that thing is gonna happen and it's definitely gonna trigger me. So I'm emphasizing that sometimes it's helpful to anticipate and even plan for things that might be triggering. And other times it just makes you anxious about the thing that's coming. That made me think of something that, I, that I'm still working at and that I think is very helpful. Um, sort of more recent research, especially in the field of sort of... Uh, mindfulness and you know everybody these days is sort of really into mindfulness and um and something that has been shown a little bit in the literature also counterintuitive is that it is better in a way to work on accepting your anxiety rather than fighting it i definitely got caught a lot in fighting it because, and by, by that, I mean, like, constantly having thoughts such as, go away. <laughs> when will you stop? Leave me alone. Here you are again. So I was constantly sort of battling myself in a way. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, that makes total sense. Because who the hell wants to walk around with chronic pain or any of these things, right? Like, who wants to be, like, reveling in suffering? I mean. There is this theory or this research evidence and anxiety that acceptance-based strategies and non-judgmentalness to your own experience over time lessens the severity of what you're experiencing. So what I mean by that very concretely is a non-judgmental stance is sort of something like, ah, anxiety, okay, it's, neither, it's not great, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't suddenly have to, like, have cocktails with it. But, like, here you are, you know, here you are, and I know you, and we shall coexist. Yeah. And maybe you're even trying to tell me something. Maybe you're trying to warn me of something. However, that's not very helpful that you're telling me that. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's sort of like acceptance, not, like, agreeing with it, but guys, think about people with chronic pain. I mean, what options do they have? 
if there is no treatment for your neuropathy or whatever you have to live with, you know, you have to make peace with it. Yeah. I, I'm smiling over here because there's like a weird meta thing happening. So this podcast is about talking to the well-meaning people out there who sometimes do end up accidentally causing harm and causing problems for people. And I'm starting to think anxiety is like that friend who means well, right? Like your anxiety means well. Your anxiety is like that friend who's maybe trying to protect you from something, who's trying to guard against one of these great fears and save you from a terrible thing. Your anxiety means well, but it is ending up causing you some harm. And what if we could accept anxiety the same way we accept our friends and family members who mean well, (laughs) who sometimes bother us, annoy us, say the wrong thing. Um, I'm starting to think there's a parallel here. I think that's perfect, you know, like, and, and you can gently talk to your family members and friends that mean well, but, and sort of say to them, Hey, I actually, I actually see you. I'm not getting angry at you because you just told me to take a bubble bath and fuck you because I want to take a bubble bath, but no, Hey, thanks for, thanks for suggesting that because I think you, you care about me. And I think you, I think you want to help me, but Hey, if you suggest to me one more time to take a bubble bath, I'm going to kill have, you. <laughs> yeah, I may have to seriously drown you in your very own bubble bath. So it's sort of kind of yeah. like, it's very similar, right? Like you are absolutely right. I think it is really hard because it can be so unpleasant. Acceptance doesn't mean agreement. Yeah. So... Oh, and here's the other really important thing. So number one, try not to fight it so much. And here's the big other one I wanted to just throw out there. I think people with anxiety and depression also, of course, do this brilliant thing where they also have all of this stuff going on and then they trash talk themselves on top of it. So try to be gentle with yourself and compassionate and say, oof, I, I, yep, I'm afraid of, this thing. I'm afraid of going to the store to pick up my prescription. Well, you know, again, you don't have to be like, great job, <laughs> you know, for being afraid. But sort of say something to yourself like, you're struggling today. I can see that. Yeah. Remember there are times where you can do that without any issues? They, they'll come again. Yeah. And today, you're just not doing well. And it is what it is. And I still love you. I think that's really key. And and part of the message can be, you know, look at the hurdles I face that maybe other people don't have to face. And and I I love myself for not quitting yet, right? Like I, I'm still showing up every day. Maybe I don't do all the things every day, but I, I still show up in my life despite the hurdles I face. Look at me. Look at me facing these hurdles. Um, I don't have to always get over them. But even if I stand and stare at them and say, hi, Hurdle, (laughs) hi, 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 Mount Everest standing in my way. There you are again. And to take a deep breath and say, yeah, I'm somebody who has some some hills to climb. Um, That doesn't make me a bad person. That makes me probably a really strong person who's who's working at stuff. Um, There's I always say this in my trainings, but there's something inherently inherently admirable about people who struggle 
because they didn't have to, like they, they could have quit a long time ago. Folks who are struggling are inherently admirable. Can I pay you $100 for um, providing me with a little mini therapy session right now? Of course. Yeah. I'll send you my Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and this is something I can constantly say to people in my life, friends, when I used to work clinically, right? I didn't really believe that myself about myself. I still thought I was somehow defective. I don't know, whatever, right? This, uh, this was a long time ago. That required a lot of work for me to sort of think like, how life resilience? It was hard for me to embrace that because it is true. I'd rather wish I didn't have it. And it was really difficult for me to, to stop that narrative, that, that story in my head that I just wasn't good enough or yeah I think there's a lot of people that have that sort of like oh you're somehow broken you know and it's wonderful this is why I, was, why I said I'd like to pay you for the therapy session here's something that I once wrote about um, when you lose hope sometimes or, or when you even if you've made all this progress and sometimes go back to a, to a negative place or a dark place or you or you lose the plot about, hey, you have resilience. People that hold hope for you, that was the most important thing in my life. And to be honest with you, I think that saved me during my darkest times that those friends of mine said to me, I remember very clearly uh, several times, but one person was like, when I was like, I have nothing to offer anymore. I, 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 I don't even want to talk. Like, I'm... She's like, this is a phase you're going through. You'll come back. Because I didn't believe that. And then I was just like, okay. So this holding hope for somebody. Yeah. You have to give somebody hope. Mm. You know, you have to hold that hope for the other person. Because most people will get better. Yeah. Really well said. Um, and I know that we're running out of time here. We only have the last couple minutes. But... I, I feel like this point that you're making is, is, is really valuable. Um, and again, I want to turn it to the, the, the helpers out there, the friends, the family members who love people with anxiety. You know, I've had folks call me and say, my son is lazy. He doesn't do his homework. He never gets off the couch. He doesn't want to socialize. He has no friends. The doctor says it's anxiety. I don't know, maybe. And I, I often say, I want you to think about the things that he has accomplished even while he had anxiety and be so impressed with that because I've seen your son come to a big Christmas party that was rowdy and crowded and a lot of people there. And if your son does have anxiety, think about it. He pulled that off with anxiety. Um, I did see your son play Little League a few years ago. And if he had anxiety and did that anyway, isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible what he's been able to do with anxiety and to, to see what people can do rather than focus on what they're not doing is maybe one way to really love a person. Thank you, friend. I'm gonna let you go. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank, thank you, you. For, thank you for considering me.
that day I live in a dream.